We're in this series called Long Story Short, and uh, we're going to try to make as many tracks as we can today. Uh, if you can't tell, I'm kind of slowly losing my voice, okay? So we're going to go to we don't have any more voice, and then wherever we stop, we stop, and that's the end of the sermon, all right? Some of you are like, I hope it happens soon, right? But uh, <clears throat> shame on you, right? Long story short, simply a conversation we're having, we, we said it this way, that all of us have a long story short. Every last one of us in the room, technical term, if you like, this kind of stuff is worldview, but we all have a long story short. We all have a story that we look at life through. Every last one, you might be here and say, I don't believe in God. I'm glad you're here. I don't believe in the Bible. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Even if you don't believe in God or the Bible, you still have a long story short. And so the whole purpose for us doing this series is simply to say, let's look at the long story short of the Bible because the Bible claims to be the true story of God, the world, and mankind. That doesn't surprise anybody in the room, but we said it this way that if you're here and you're not sure what story is your story, the Bible doesn't just claim to be the true story, it claims to be a better story. And so we're just simply saying, hey, maybe the story of God is a story that you've rejected because you don't know the long story short. Maybe it's a story that you never understood in in its completeness. And so we're taking a look at the long story short, saying it's a true and better story. Uh, We're not just doing it for people who are like, hey, I'm not sure I believe in the Bible, but there are many of you, stay with me on this, who grew up... uh, reading the Bible, uh, maybe you have your favorite verse in the Bible, maybe even have your favorite story in the Bible, and here's what happens. We can interact with the Bible in some really wacky ways, and maybe you do. We, some of us interact with the Bible like an encyclopedia, right? And so we think of a topic, and we're like, hey, I'm going to look in the back, and whatever the Bible says about this topic. And so we go to a verse, and like, okay, here's what it says, and that's how we interact with the Bible. And the problem with that is this, is that as we interact with the Bible that way, it feels like these random puzzle pieces. Like, we can't figure out how to put the Bible together. And so we get these random Bible pieces, and we don't know the big story. So we're doing this series where we say, hey, what's the picture on the box? What's the picture on the box so that we can put the pieces of the puzzle together when it comes to the Bible? And so we're looking at the Bible in six acts. And so we already looked at four of those acts. Act one was simply creation. Act two was the curse. Act three we called covenant. And then last week we looked at act four, which is all about the cross and all about the story of Easter. Here's what I want to look at for a few minutes today. As long as my voice holds out, I want to look at act five. And act five is all about the church. Act five is all about the church. You see, when you look at the long story short of God, this is the part of the story we show up in. This is the part of the story we're in right now. And this is so important because a lot of people, and maybe you're one, have really, really wacky understandings of the church. In fact, if I were to say to you, hey, what do you think of when I say the word church? Chances are, in a a group this size, there'd be all kinds of answers to that kind of question. For some of you, for some of you, if I said, what do you think of when I say church? Some of you would say, oh, I think of a building. I think of a building at an address, and that's what you think of. I go to church at, and you name a, an address, and there's a building there, and so that's what you think of. And a lot of people, when, when you say church, they think building. And so the way they interact with the church, if, if your first thought is that it's a building, the way you'll interact with the church, it's like a museum that we go to every week, Right? And at the museum, we get to hear about what those people did back then, right? And so the church is a building, and they tell us what happened in history. Uh, For some of you, that's not how you would answer. If I said, tell me about church, tell me about your church, here's the way you would answer me. You would tell me about a service that you attended, right? You, You would tell me, hey, I went to church, 
I went to church at 10 o'clock. I went to church at 11.30, whenever you went to church. And so you would answer me based upon a one-hour gathering, a service that you went to, right? And a lot of people, that's the way they, hey, did you go to church today? No, I didn't make it to the service is what they're talking about. And if you interact with the church that way, if that's what comes to your mind, stay with me because this might be you, then you're going to interact with the church kind of like going to a movie, right? And, And when you go to a movie, what you do is you watch it and then you critique it. You tracking with me? And so if you interact with church that way, you're going to come and watch it and then none of you would do this, but you're going to critique it, right? You're like, hey, man, was church good today? Ah, pastor was a little off today, right? Uh, None of you would do that, but I've heard that happens, okay? Uh, Music was good. And and that's why some people, right, some people church hop, right? They they hop around because it's like, hey, I'm going to go here, there, or wherever. It's better. Uh, Whatever comes to your mind. Some people maybe a social organization. So when you think of church, you think of potlucks and bingo, right? Uh, Some of you a humanitarian organization. I think of a place that helps people. Here's what I know, right? Whatever comes to your mind is probably going to somehow be based on your experience and your exposure to church. When I say, tell me about your church or tell me about church, whatever comes to your mind is going to be based on your experience, your exposure. And for some of you, you've had some really weird exposures to church. For some of you, and I've talked to some of you, church freaks you out. Because you had this experience when you were younger, like, man, they did crazy things, and they came and prayed over me, and they said all this kind of, and like, you're like, it's weird. I don't know that I understand it. Others of you, your experience and your exposure to church is simply this. Church is boring. For some of you, for some of you, church is the place where you were hurt. And so whatever you think about church is all filtered through the lens of being heard. And others of you, you have this idea of church. Church is where those people go. Those really, really opinionated people who are right wing and a lot of them are Republican, right? You tracking with me? And that's your characterization of church. Whatever you, you, comes to your mind when you say church, our idea of church, just lean in, can be really weird, can be really wacky, And quite frankly, it can be downright wrong if we come up with our idea of church simply based on our experience, our exposure. That's why it is so important for us to understand what's going on in the church against the long story short of God's unfolding drama. And that's what we've been talking about. So we got to place the church in the story. And the story goes like this. If you've been here, this is a review. Act one is creation. God creates, speaks, creates, all that is. Beautiful, it's connected, it makes sense. And he creates and then he evaluates. He says it's good. And then he creates man and then he evaluates and he says very good. And then man understands his place. Man is created to give glory to God. Man understands his purpose, multiply God's goodness. Man understands his priority, enjoy relationship with God and others. The story of God starts out very good. Some of you that grew up in church need to hear that because you thought the story of God starts out with man's sins and it doesn't. The story of God starts out with with a God who creates and then he evaluates, but if you know the story, act two happens rather quickly. Because it doesn't take long for man to take this beautiful thing that God created, this connected thing, this thing that made sense, and the creation mistrusts, 
turns its back on the creator. And what is beautiful is broke. What's connected is disconnected. What makes sense is all of a sudden confusing. And man sins, and now men are sinners. That's the story of God. It's men are now sinners. And instead of walking with God, man's hiding from God. Instead of enjoying relationship with each other, they're blaming each other. And all of a sudden, the curse leads to corruption, and things go from bad to worse. You see, the way I would say it is this. In Act 1, we have creation, and in Act 1, let's go back to that slide. In Act 1, God's plan and his purpose are rooted in creation. So what's God's plan and his purpose for creation, for for, for us, for mankind? You can see it in Act 1. But if Act 1 is God's plan and purpose rooted in creation, then the curse, Act 2, is simply this. That in Act 2, what is rooted in creation gets ruined at the curse. And all of a sudden, what God designed and what God planned and what God gave that was beautiful, man breaks. And it leads to this question, what's God going to do? Because man turned his back and the whole rest of the Old Testament, that part of your Bible that's really, really confusing, we talked about this week three. If you weren't here, I'd go on and listen to it. We talked about the whole Old Testament in one sermon. And the whole Old Testament is about a God who chases people who run away from him. The whole Old Testament is about a God who's pursuing and he's picking and he's blessing. He says to Abraham, I want to bless you so that through you, everyone can be blessed. He says to the nation of Israel, I want to bless you, form a special relationship with you so that the whole world will see who I am. What's fascinating is you read the Old Testament, literally the Old Testament ends with God's people running away from him right into captivity, and when you flip the page to the New Testament, all of a sudden it begins to make sense because you're introduced to a baby who is from the family of Abraham, the one that was promised. All of a sudden, when you flip to the New Testament, you see a Jewish young man, his name is Jesus, and he grows up to live perfectly, a life that reflects the character of God. Now, here's what's interesting. Now, I need you to lean in because it's going to go where we need to go today. Jesus helped people, and he healed people, and he preached sermons. On one occasion, he gathered his followers around him, and in Matthew 16, he said something. It's the first time we see this word mentioned. Matthew 16, verse 18, here's what Jesus said. I love this passage. He said, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock, everybody read the words in yellow out loud with me, I and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want you to see this. First time we see the church mentioned, Jesus is saying, I'll build it. I'll build it, and hell can't stop it. That's what he's saying. I'm going to build my church, and hell can't stop it. Trust me, hell's tried. But he's saying, I'm going to build it. Hell can't stop it. It's an offensive verse. Now, here's what's interesting. Stay with me, because Jesus says that, and then he goes riding into town, and they're like, hey, he's the king, he's the king, Hosanna. And then, not long after that, they changed their cry from, he's the king, Hosanna, to kill him. Kill him. Crucify him. Which leads to Act 4, which is the cross, which is where we were at last week. And all of a sudden, we realize this son of Abraham is sacrificed, and there is no ram He's the sacrificial lamb. All of a sudden, we see the king is killed. What's going on here? I want you to write it this way. What was rooted in creation 
and ruined at the curse is redeemed at the cross. We talked about this last week, that Jesus died to fix what we broke, that Jesus died to clean what we couldn't get out, that Jesus died to repair what was ruined. Now, everybody look here, because th- this, is, this is where we need to pick it up today, because it's going to help make sense of what you're sitting in the middle of right now, Okay? Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. It's like, yes, now he's going to build his church. Now he's going to build his church. Now he's going to spend the rest of his life building his church. And a little over a month after he rises from the dead, he gathers his followers together, and he said, I'm out. I thought you were going to build your church yeah, I'm out. And that's where the book of Acts that you have opened in your laps begins. And here's what it says, and it begins to make it make sense. The guy writing this book, his name is Luke, and he's he's writing it to a specific guy. His name is Theophilus. And he says, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus, keywords, began to do and began to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Go down to verse six. Then they gathered around him and they said, Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? I still don't think they got what was going on. Like, you're the king, right? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Verse nine, this is so key. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. Can you imagine being there? Just let, read it in color. Like, like, hello, there he goes, right? And a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And this is what they said. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Everybody look here. In short, what, what's going on here is we're getting the long story short of the rest of the Bible. Here's what these guys are saying. Jesus came. He was born, he lived, he died, was buried, and rose again, but he took off. And what these guys are saying, the Jesus who came, that Jesus is coming back. That's next week, by the way, don't miss that. All right? In the meantime, Jesus came, Jesus is coming back. In the meantime is this thing called the church. That is exactly where we're at right now. And when I begin to see that in the meantime is this thing called church, I begin to understand, okay, what is God's purpose and his plan for the church? You see, if you're newer to the Bible, let me say it this way. The second part of your Bible is the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the story of Jesus. If you're like, I want to read the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The book of Acts is the story of the church. You want to read how the church began? It's the book of Acts. It describes the beginning of the church. It's the story of the church. Then the rest of the New Testament up to Revelation 4 is letters and correspondence to churches, to people in churches. That's the New Testament. What's the point? The point is this, is that Act 5 is the church. 
And what was rooted in creation, we'll leave this up here for a while, and ruined at the curse, is redeemed at the cross, and then God is restoring what he rooted in creation through his church. Like, like it, it all fits together. Like, he's trying to restore what he started in creation. In fact, if I don't see the church this way, the church is going to be confusing, weird, and wacky to me. But God is doing something right now, this moment, in his church. Jesus is building his church. So it begs the question, what's the church, okay? Well, the the, the word in, in the New Testament that we get church from is the word ecclesia. You can forget that, but if you like stuff like that, you can write it down and press your friends, right? Ecclesia, here's all it means. It means a called out group of people. Yeah, that's worth writing down. That's what church, the word means a called out group of people. That's what it means. And so if I'm simply taking what Jesus is saying in Acts 1, what is the church? Well, it's not a building or a service, right? It's not just a social organization. It is a called out group of people. It's a new creation community of people built by Jesus that is empowered by the spirit of God to be Jesus' witnesses multiplying a movement that Jesus began. That's the church. The church is a new community of people who have said yes to Jesus that now enjoy this repaired relationship with God and a relationship with others. That's the church. Everybody look here because we've got a race then because that begs two questions and we're going to try to Try to unwrap them today. If the church is not a building or a service, not even a social organization, but if the church is a community of called out people who said yes to Jesus, and because they've said yes to Jesus, they now have a repaired relationship with God and we, with each other, here's the question it begs. Everybody look here. I wanna, you got to ask yourself this question. I got to ask myself, am I part of the church Jesus is building, not do I go to church? They're two different questions. I'm going to say it again. Somebody looking at me like, what? I got to ask myself, am I part of the church Jesus is building? Not do I go to church? Do I go to a building? Do I attend a service? You see, here's what Jesus is really plain about. The church that he is building is people who are called out because they've said yes to him. Yes, I believe that you fix what's broken. Yes, I believe that you clean what I can't get out. Yes, I believe you repair what's ruined. And that's the church. So the first question I gotta ask this morning, you gotta ask yourself this right now. Am I part of the church Jesus is building? Well, I'm in church. You're in a building where the church is. Well, I, I, I'm in a church service. You're in a gathering of the church. The question is this. I, I know you're like, Dan, you're going hard today. Yeah, because this is something I'm passionate about. I gotta ask, am I part of the church Jesus is building? Not simply do I go to a church. Some of you are sitting here saying, well, Dan, I've said yes to Jesus. I'm part, uh, I'm part of the church Jesus is building. Then I gotta ask myself this question. You ready? So if, if you're here like, whoo, I'm off the hook. Listen, I gotta ask myself, am I participating in the church Jesus is building? You see, if I'm like, I've said yes to Jesus, then I gotta ask myself, well, then am I participating in the church Jesus is building? And it begs this question, well, what does that look like? Because listen, listen, we live in a culture when 
when we have all these wacky understandings of church and we're letting all kinds of experience and all kinds of opinion define what the church should be, shouldn't be, and God had a plan. And so you can look at Acts chapter 2 and begin to see how this church is described. Look at it with me, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 40. Go to verse 40. We're going to pick this up right at the end of a sermon. Now, now, now listen, can I just say something? I love you guys. S- sometimes you can be a hard crowd to preach to. Can I get an amen on that? Why'd you say amen? I don't know why, you know, but, but, but sometimes, you know, you're tired or whatever, right? You can be a hard crowd to preach to sometimes, right? But I love, I love the opportunity to talk with you guys. Peter's at the end of a sermon where he's preaching. He's looking eyeball to eyeball at people who just killed Jesus. And his sermon is like this. That guy you killed, he's the Savior. That's a tough crowd. That's a tough crowd. At the end of the sermon, verse 40, with many other words, look at it with me. We've got to go there. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. We did that last week, right? It was pretty cool. About 3,000 were added to the number that day. That's a good day, isn't it? Like, that's a good day. And then it describes this church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. That is the description of God's plan and purpose for the church. You get the idea that this was a group of people who were devoted to some pretty important things. They liked being with each other. They enjoyed and had vibrant worship. They were busy about doing some things that God intended for them to do. You get the idea that God's vision, stay with me, I wanna be kind and clear, God's vision for the church wasn't that I say yes to Jesus so that I can attend a service one hour a week. So that I can go to a building occasionally. God's vision for the church is way different than that. So if I begin to say, okay, what was his vision for this church? I realize that what he rooted in creation, he redeemed at the cross and he wants to restore through his church. At creation, he created man in his image. Now stay with me on that. John Piper says it this way. He says, man was created from the beginning in God's image that he might image forth God's story. Not long after creation, what is rooted in creation is ruined at the curse. It's redeemed at the cross, and now the church is this new community of people that literally God begins to restore what he intended and rooted at creation. And that helps me understand the church. Here's why God called out a community of people called the church. The church is simply a called out community that reflects God's glory to the world. That's what the church is. It is a called out community of people that reflects God's glory to the world. 
Here's the way Paul put it. We won't put it on the screen, so you have time to write that statement down. But Paul was praying, and he says, Now to him that is God, who's able to do more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him, to God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Let's make sense of this. How does the church reflect God's glory in the world? How does the church reflect God's glory in the world? I want you to write these things out two ways. Two ways, we're going to flesh them out. First is this, the church reflects it in the way we respond to God. Second is the way we relate to each other. We're going to look at the first. The way the church responds to God reflects his glory in the world. Our response to God reflects who God is to our world. In Acts chapter two, it says they were praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. Here's what that is. For some of you who've heard this church word, and it's like, I don't really get that. The way we respond to God is simply worship. That is worship. Worship is not just singing. Singing is part of worship. Worship is the way you and I respond to God. That's what worship is. And the way we respond to God tells our world about the God we're reflecting. We're image bearers. Stay with me, so important. The way we respond to God tells our world about the God we're responding to. For instance, if I said, how many of you are Browns fans? Let me hear you. That tells you all you need to know about the team, right? <laughs> you see, here's the deal. A fan responds to, I'm kidding you about the Browns. They're going to be good, right? Here's the deal. A fan's response to his team will tell you, man, I'm really excited, enthusiastic about my team. A child's response to his father will tell you, man, I love my daddy. I trust my, a team's response to their boss is going to tell you, hey, we have a good relationship. Your response tells me something about the relationship. Guys, listen to me. Our response to God tells the world about the God we are to reflect. I can tell you're still not with me. Let me tell you what the book of Acts teaches. You ready? Book of Acts chapter 2 says they devoted themselves to listening to God. They listened to God. You know why they listened to God? Because they believed they were reflecting a God that knew more than they did. Acts chapter 3 says they were bent on being kind to other people. You know why? Because they, the church, was reflecting a God that they believed was kind to everybody. You know what? It says in Acts chapter 4, they literally prayed huge, big prayers. Their prayers were big and audacious. You know why? Because they reflected a God they thought was big and powerful and nothing was impossible for him. In Acts chapter 5, they took a bold stand in the midst of opposition. You know why? Because they were reflecting a God that they believed was the ultimate. In Acts chapter 7, they literally gave their life for the sake of the gospel because they were reflecting a God that they believed was the source of life and truth. They gave generously because they reflected a God who they believed was generous. And in Acts chapter 16, they sang robustly. You know why? Because they believed they were reflecting a God that was worth celebrating even when circumstances were hard. In Acts chapter 16, that 
little worship service took place in prison. You see, the point is simply this. The church is a called out group of people and the way we respond to God tells the world something about the God we're responding to. I don't know about you and I can't answer for you, but this was so challenging to me this week. It it was so convicting to me. I, I don't know about you, it was convicting to me. Because I began to write down a list of questions like, what does the way I pray tell the world about the God I reflect? What does the way I love tell the world about the God that I reflect? What is the way that I'm kind tell the world about the God that I reflect? What is the way that I give and serve? What is the way that I sing tell the world about the God that I reflect? Can we just be honest for those of you who would say, I'm a follower of Christ, if ever, if ever our world needs an accurate, robust view of the God that we're called to reflect, it's now? And all he's simply saying is the church is called out to reflect his glory. And we reflect his glory by the way we respond, by the way we pray, by the way we serve, by the way we love, by the way we give, by the way we sing, by the way we live. That's what he's saying. Because we have a huge, powerful, sovereign, gracious, merciful, all-wise, knows everything God. I love how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 11. Here's what he says. We'll throw it on the screen for you. He said, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of our Lord or who has been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that they should repay? This is a big view of God. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Verse 1, chapter 12. Therefore, in response to how big and incredible and awesome God is, in response, I urge you, Brothers and sisters, that's the church. In view of his mercy, offer your bodies, all of you, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This was challenging to me, guys. See, when I begin to have a God that I listen to when he says what I want him to say and I don't listen to when I don't agree with him, I reflect to the world of God who knows a lot about some things but not quite as much as I do about everything. See how that works? See, the way I respond to God tells the world an awful lot about the God that I'm reflecting. There's a second way, and we've got to go here. It's not only the way I respond to God. We're going to scurry through this <clears throat> for the sake of my voice this morning. But it's also the way the church relates to each other that reflects God's glory. In Acts chapter 2, this is what it says. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property possessions to give <clears throat> to anyone as they had need. 
Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. It's the way that the church relates to each other that reflects God's glory. I'd write this word down in your notes. It's about community. It's about community. The church is a community who enjoys relationship with God and with each other. The church is not a building. It's not simply a service. We are a family, brothers and sisters. In fact, I wonder if this group of people were reminded of what Jesus said to them in John 13. Look at what he said in John 13. He says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Guys, listen to me. You're going to have to lean in because I think I'm losing it, okay? He says, you're going to reflect that you're my follower. You're going to reflect my glory and that you're my follower, not by the big buildings you build, not by the protests you plan, the services you put together, the bumper stickers on your car, the T-shirts on your back. He said, it's the way you love each other. I want to tell you something. I want to I teach something right now that maybe some of you would be new news. For some of you, it's old news, but it's like, uh, I want to forget that news. Listen close. I don't want to be misquoted. <clears throat> Saying yes to Jesus is personal, not private. Saying yes to Jesus is personal. It's not private. When we say yes to Jesus, we are saved into a community. We cannot follow Jesus simply alone. Jesus only makes sense in community. That's how we reflect God's glory. Community and others are what shape us. Community and others are what the whole New Testament is about. We need each other. I'm going to tell you something. Now listen, listen. Community is different than just friends. Hello. Yeah, even in church world, this gets weird. Let's form a group and, of our friends. Friends, you know what friends are? Friends are people that kind of reflect us back to us. You ever notice that? It's kind of like, I don't know, if you're, like I'll meet a guy and I'll tell Jennifer, I really like this guy. Well, tell me about him. Well, he's this, this. He's, she'll say to me, well, he sounds like you. I'm like, yeah, I kind of like him. He's really awesome, right? I mean, we like to be around people who think like us and enjoy doing what we do, and they reflect us back to us. That's not community. Community and maturity in community is found in diversity. It's multi-generational. It's multi-ethnic. It's different socioeconomics. It is even different, stay with me, I'm going to say it out loud, political persuasions. I'll get an email on that one. Acepeace at graceohio.org. Send it all day long. <laughs> Guys, it's more like family. It's more like family. Guys, community's more like family. Y'all love your family. You don't always get along and agree with them, right? Can I get an amen? Don't look around. That's why Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, wrote this. <clears throat> and he wasn't writing it to a bride and a groom. He was writing it to a church. 
He said, if love is how you reflect God's glory, then I'm going to tell you how to love each other. Love is patient. Why would he have to write that unless we had to be patient sometimes with each other? Look here, guys. You're going to have to be patient with me sometimes. I'm going to have to be patient with you. We're going to have to be patient with each other. Love is kind. That means love somehow serves others even when they don't deserve it. Love doesn't envy. That means love can celebrate when others get recognized and we didn't. Love doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's self-forgetful. It doesn't dishonor others. It doesn't talk behind their back. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Why would he have to write that unless we might be in a relationship where it could be easy to get angry? Then he says love keeps no record of wrongs. Why would he have to write that unless we had relationships where we might wrong each other? Love doesn't delight in evil, rejoices with the truth, protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. These remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Here's what I want to say, and then Jesus makes sense in community, and that's the way we reflect God's glory to the world. You guys have heard me say, if you're here any length of time, that our desire is to see you go from the gathering into groups. And, and you're like, Dan, you're just trying to get us in, in the program, in the program that you and Grace Church, no, no, I'm not. I, as one of your pastors, want you desperately to experience the church as God intended. I desperately want that. You need others. Others need you. And I desperately want Jesus to make sense as you share life together. And I desperately want us to reflect God's glory to the world. That's why our grace group leaders are some of the heroes of Grace Church. I love it. Some of you are serving and some of you are in groups. Can I say some of you that are in groups? Your group is not just a class that you attend. Your group should not simply just be a collection of your friends. It should not just be a social hour. It should not just be even just a Bible study hour. It is sharing life together. It's sharpening, helping, giving to each other on mission together. That's how he intended for us to reflect his glory. That's how Jesus makes sense. Church is a called out community to reflect God's glory. One more thing you got to see. In Acts 1, look at it. It says, in my former book, this might escape you unless you see it. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that, look at this, Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Everybody look here. You're like, Dan, what's the big deal? The book of Luke He wrote about everything Jesus did before he went to heaven. The book of Acts, he's writing about everything Jesus did after he went to heaven. Well, who in the world did Jesus do that through? The church. You see, that's what the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts is about a group of people who continued to do what Jesus began to do and to teach. In fact, I would write it this way, that The church is a called out community that multiplies God's goodness in the world. That's what we're called to do. Now listen, I just want to talk to some of you in the room. I want to acknowledge the elephant in the room that the church has not always multiplied goodness in the world. Can we just say that? 
that the, the church has not always multiplied throughout history. The church has not always done it. In fact, some of you have been hurt by the church. And I want to say this. I'm, I'm so sorry that that's your story. But that is what God has called us to do to multiply his goodness in the world. How do we do that? Two quick ways. I want you to write them down. First, the church multiplies God's goodness by demonstrating it in the world. Acts 1.8 says that Luke wrote about what Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. And then the whole book of Acts is about what he continues to do in and through his church. John 14, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they'll do even greater things than these. Guys, did you hear what I just read? He's talking to people who believe and he says, you're gonna do what I have been doing and even greater what was Jesus doing? Here's what he was doing. You know what Jesus was doing? Read his story. Don't take my word for it. Please don't take my word for it. Jesus ran into not away from messes. Jesus helped people who couldn't help themselves. Jesus went to the people on the fringe. Jesus invited in those who were uninvited. Jesus went to those who were poor, had no hope, and brought hope. That's what Jesus did. And where the church has followed Jesus, good, good has followed. You can read church history where, where, where the church has followed Jesus, the status of women has been elevated, the value of children has been recognized, the uneducated have been educated, the poor have been helped, the, 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 those who don't have any money have been somehow brought to their feet to be able to help themselves. Those who are marginalized have somehow mattered. Guys, listen to me. As one of your pastors, this is why we do what we do. That whole thing in your program, it's, it's not like, wow, we just need to fill up our agenda. This is why I'm so excited about partnering with the school and the, and, and, and the community in this Million Meal Project. It's not like, hey, we need something to do. Let's go after it, right? What an awesome opportunity to follow Jesus in helping people who need help. This is why we partner with Restore Ministries, to help people who are in the middle of addiction find help and hope. This is why we put on a, an event here on sex trafficking. This is why we did an event on heroin awareness. It's one of the reasons that we meet with leaders in the community and, and I was just with a leader and I'm like, how can we help? How can we help? Why do we do that? Because we follow Jesus. Multiply his goodness. One of the questions that I ask myself over and over again, if all of a sudden Grace Church didn't exist, would it matter to our community? Would it matter to our community? Which makes me think of a really, really cool passage in Ephesians. I want to show it to you. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Don't miss this. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, reflecting his glory. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love. Everybody say the yellow out loud with me, as each part does its work. You see, if I'm part of the church that Jesus is building, then I have a part. If I'm part of the church Jesus is building, I have a part. You have a part. It's how we reflect God's glory to the world. It's how we multiply his goodness in the world. Last but not least, the church multiplies God's goodness by declaring it to the world from front to back, the book of Acts is ordinary, flawed men and women declaring the goodness of God, found in the good news of God. And the good news of God is simply this, that God loves you and Jesus died for you to fix what was broken, to clean what you couldn't clean and to repair what was ruined. That's the gospel. Gospel means good news. And the church is a called out community of people sent to declare the good news that there is a God who loves you. He's been chasing you clear to the cross because he died for you so that he could fix what's broken and repair what's ruined. That's why Acts 1.8 says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're gonna be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what they did. You read it. You go home and read it. Don't take my word for it. That's exactly what they did all through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter two, Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter four, when they met opposition, they said salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. They saw the courage of Peter and John, realized they were unschooled, ordinary men just like you and I, and they were astonished and they took note These guys have been with Jesus. In Acts 4, when the church was facing opposition, they prayed, now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They didn't pray, God, would you make life easier? God, would you make things more convenient? They said, God, would you help us to be able to declare the good news? In verse 33, it says, with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. Acts 5, after, after they had been punished for preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus, the apostles left rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, then in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Acts 8, when persecution broke out in the church, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria and those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Acts 20, Paul said, my life's worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord's given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And the very last verse in the book of Acts Paul, under house arrest, it says he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Jesus said this, I will build my church and hell won't stop it. And that's the part of the story we're in. Can I ask you a question? Are you part of the church Jesus is building? I'm not asking if you're in church, you go to church, you grew up in church, I'm asking you, are you part of the church Jesus is building? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? Some of you are like, no, because I've been hurt by church. 
And I'm simply going to beg and ask and plea that you would see church not against the backdrop of your experience or exposure, but against the backdrop of God's big picture. And what's interesting to me about God's big picture is that he always used flawed and ordinary men to move along his movement. He's doing that here. Flawed, ordinary men to move along his movement. Are you part of the church Jesus is building? Last question. Because a lot of you are looking at me, yep. Then can I ask you this? Are you participating in the church Jesus is building? See, here's what I want to tell you. Saying yes to Jesus is personal. It's not private. Each of us has a part. We share life together. Some of you, some of you are like, man, I just like to kind of do this thing on my own and sit in a mountain and sing and I kind of have my relationship with God. And here's the deal. Jesus only makes sense in community. It only makes sense in community. It's one of the ways we reflect God's glory, our response to God and the way we relate to each other. Can I ask you this? What does the way you respond to God and relate to others say about the God that you're following? Can I ask you this? What part are you playing in multiplying his goodness in the world? Can I just be honest about something? I'm gonna get on a soapbox. How's that? Can I get on a soapbox? If ever our culture and our world needs to see the called out community multiplying his goodness in the world, it's now. It's now. You know what most people think about church? When you ask them to tell you about church, they'll tell you all the things the church is against. It seems like nobody knows what the church is for. Seems like nobody understands what the church is for. They simply know the church is against this and against this and don't this and against that. Yet God says, I want you to be for. I want you to run into messes. I want you to help those who need help. I want you to run into people who need love. I want you to find people on the fringes. I want you to invite in the uninvited. That's what I want you to do. Because you have the best news possible. And I don't know about you, but we live in a time when we need some good news. And God says, you you got some good news. And the church is my called out community that I specifically have given the task of declaring that good news. You see, what do you do with a talk like this? Well, two or three things. Maybe this morning is the morning where you become part of the church Jesus is building, say yes to Jesus. Maybe if you're already a said yes to Jesus, maybe this morning is the morning you say, I need to begin sharing life with others. We'd be happy to help you. I need to begin participating in what God's doing. We'd be happy to give you ways in which that can happen. I don't know where in the world you're at in the story, but I know this, that if you only see the church as a building, you're gonna interact with it like a museum. You're gonna come here and like, wow, those people were awesome back then. If you only see the church as a service, you're gonna leave each week and say, about an eight this week, about a six this week. But if you see the church as part of God's unfolding drama, when you say yes and begin to participate, you're going to see yourself in the story and it all changes. So God, I'm so grateful for the church and I'm grateful that the Jesus who came is coming back. But in the meantime, Father, I pray that you would help us to reflect your glory. God, forgive me for praying little prayers. Forgive me for somehow reflecting that you're a God who isn't as big as you are. And I pray that you would help me 
And my friends, to reflect that you're a God who's big and robust and powerful and sovereign and merciful and faithful and wise. Then God, I pray the way we interact with each other would somehow reflect to the world who you are, the way we cooperate with each other, the way we care about each other, the way we sharpen each other, even the way we disagree with each other. I pray would reflect something about you to our world and then God, would you use us as this unique team to somehow multiply your goodness in the world. Show us how we can help Norton in the greater Akron area. And then God, I pray that as we have opportunity, you would help us to declare the good news of Jesus to people who maybe think you're mad at them, that they might know that you're a God who loves them and you love them straight to the cross because you so want a relationship with them. Father, I thank you so much for your story. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.